Hey there. Before we begin the episode, I wanted to quickly introduce you to the Art Is Podcast's new partner, Artmo. Artmo is a community-centered marketplace where any artist can sell their work and any art lover can buy art commission-free. What's really cool about Artmo is it's the first platform of its kind that lets you sell both physical art and NFTs in one place. They're bridging the traditional art world and the Web3 universe, and I'm super excited about it. The best part? You can turn any of your physical or digital artworks into an NFT on their platform, adding provenance, security, and authentication to your piece. NFTs can be a bit tricky to understand and create, but thanks to Artmo's dedicated team, it's become so much easier. And that's not all. Artmo is not just a marketplace, but also a media platform where creatives can connect, network, and join open forums and discussion groups. It's a great place to engage with fellow artists and art enthusiasts. Also, it's totally free for artists to sign up, and there's no long application process or gatekeeping involved. So what are you waiting for? Join the Artmo community now and head over to Artmo's website to sign up and start sharing and selling your work. Go to artmo.com, A-R-T-M-O dot com, or check out the show notes of this episode to learn more. I mean, just looking at the expanse of art history and also looking at the absurdity of the art market pricing today, um, we have to come at this with humor and self-respect. This is Art Is, a podcast for artists, where we brainstorm the future of the art world and the creative industries. Welcome back to Art Is, a podcast for artists. This is season five, episode 10, and I'm delighted to be joined with my fellow co-host for this fifth season, Lauren Hill from Curated Splash. Hello, everyone. People spend money on the most random things. Tashin sells a limited edition book that comes with a piece of a meteorite for $750,000. I know this obviously, because I've worked for them for about seven years now, and I still dream of selling it. Earlier last year, I heard that a TikTok star was selling her farts in a jar for $1,000 each. (laughs) I'm sure you have thoughts about both of these examples. The point is, the people selling them do too. They believe that they can sell their product or service for whatever they price it at. And then they go out and do it because a consumer's price objection is actually never about the price itself, but about the value they get for the price. Why else would someone spend hundreds of dollars on an item only to hesitate when there's no free shipping? My business coach, Stacey Bayman, talks about not having shame in your business when selling certain products, or at least seeing your shame and understanding that it's not really necessary. So to explain this a little bit more in detail, I'll give you some examples. Maybe you sell portraits of your family and it's your bread and butter, but you really want to be painting a variety of different things. And there's a little bit of shame that you have that comes up because you think, Well, if I want to be painting all of these different things and they're just portraits, like they're just portraits, 
but there that's still money coming in and that's still you being creative so it's kind of like seeing that shame acknowledging it and understanding that like you don't need to feel that shame because that's money in your business another example could be maybe you're a musician and you create this really beautiful song that you love so much and you share with you know all your your fans and then a certain company comes along maybe it's oatly the oat milk and they want to use your music in one of their commercials and they offer you a lot of money maybe there's a little bit of shame or guilt that comes up because you think am i selling out as an artist when really it's like this is money coming in in your business and people wanting to share your music. So it's kind of examining that shame and and making peace with it, having a relationship with it and letting it go so that you can create more abundance in your life and share your work. That reminds me of the story told by Ash Keating about his professional art practice on the Beyond the Studio podcast. Ash is an abstract painter. He works on a massive scale and does beautiful, spontaneous murals using fire extinguishers that are pressurized with paint and water. The creations he makes are mesmerizing and so impactful that when he started off as kind of a renegade muralist, doing essentially graffiti projects. He was quickly approached by different businesses and then eventually festivals to create installations for their events. He explains how his paintings really vibed with the entertainment space, whether that was restaurants or bars, um, festivals and music venues. And he really loved being able to create pieces that you know, people would see. Um, he shares the experience about being, he shares the experience of one of his paintings being the backdrop of a huge festival where thousands of people were dancing and having the time of their life, listening to amazing music, and in the backdrop was his painting. He explains how, as his practice evolved, he also became interested in doing gallery work and making smaller scale paintings that would be in a white cube. And realizing the difference between those two things and that his bread and butter, as Lauren said, was this kind of commercial practice. And it's interesting to think about how perhaps we judge ourselves or the work of other artists who make work for restaurants or for bars or hotels or whatever it may be when they're actually just putting their artwork into the world for people to enjoy. And so we invite you to begin to think about these biases that we have, whether we learn them from art school or from our parents or from society at large or whatever, or maybe they're just internal blocks that we have around shaming ourselves for doing the work that we love and making money from it. And just because you make something for a restaurant doesn't mean you can't also be in a museum. Yeah, we live in a material world. And it's enjoyable to experience material things. I mean, I know that I love clothes. 
I love fashion. I love eating expensive foods, healthy foods. I love experiencing unique shows. And all of these things take money. So why not have more relationship with enjoying the material world and learning how to sell? I think there's a lot of discomfort that comes up when learning how to sell if it's not something that you're that familiar with, especially when it comes to your own products. But to sell is human. We sell our favorite restaurants to our family or where we want to go on vacations to our partner. We sell our views on artwork and music to our friends. So why not learn how to sell your work and enjoy the process while you're doing it? There's discomfort and shame that come up when selling, but there's also fear that holds you back from even trying to sell in the first place. So I recently had a coaching call with one of my clients who was working on proposing a large commission of paintings to one of her clients. She was feeling a lot of anxiety around the proposal because of the price. So we sat down and discussed in more detail how to go about communicating the price and understanding why what she had to offer was so valuable. There's a lot of confusion that comes up when pricing artwork because there really is no standard for pricing any of your offers, even when it comes to coaching. Who sets the standard for coaching? And is that standard right for you? I recently had a conversation with one of my coaching friends, too, who was so fixated on her price that she's struggling even selling her coaching. So through all of this work, I have created an irresistible pricing framework so that you can really feel confident sharing your price and get over thinking about it so much. I found this framework to be so impactful for myself, especially since a huge part of setting your price is checking in with yourself on what you actually need and what that number is. There's a lot of tools out there to help you with this. Some of my favorites are Jiggle and Juice's support resources. They have countless articles on how to price your work, how to build out your practice, how to set up contracts, and lots of other useful tips that I highly recommend you check out. So we'll be linking those in the show notes for you. But pricing as an artist is also a psychological process. So it's important to you to set a price that you're actually really comfortable with and that you can have in your back pocket to pull out at a moment's notice. Gisela Lazarate, who came on the show back in season four, talks about this, how it's really important for her to sit down and assess what her fees and prices are going to be for finished work, for commissions, so that she's decided and when people inquire, she can immediately respond professionally and not like 
flounder or be insecure or, you know, keep potential clients waiting. It's so important to prepare yourself. You know, maybe you don't have any sales right now. You don't have anything in the pipeline. You've never sold anything before, but that doesn't mean that you won't. And it's so important to think about that in advance and give yourself the credit that you can sell. And so that's why I love Lauren's framework because it really helps simplify both the strategic and emotional psychological side of selling. Yeah, I love what you had to say. Just knowing, going into a conversation, keeping that in your back pocket so that when you are presented with an opportunity to share your price and to sell, that you're not so flustered and overwhelmed and trying to figure it out on the fly. You know, what would a price be for you that would be a no-brainer? Something that you feel super confident with, that you're not overpricing, but you are getting enough that you feel like your time is being valued and your experience. A great way to discover more about your pricing and the, the worth of your work is to write down all the reasons why your work is so worth what you are selling it for and why someone would get value out of it. I like to use the example of sharing your favorite color with someone. When you share your favorite color, you don't have to give all the reasons why it's your favorite color. Most of the time, people just take it at face value. So when you're sharing your price, you can go into it the same way. Understanding beforehand why it's your favorite price so that you don't have to explain yourself. It's an energetic experience. Another thing to think about would be the experience that you have. When you have more experience, that creates more confidence. And as a result, you can charge higher prices. So what kind of experience do you have already? And what would you need to become an expert at what you're offering? What's the simplest way to develop that experience and get paid while you're doing it? And if you don't feel like you have much experience yet, or you feel like you're a beginner, you can always just beta test by selling your products or services for free. It's a great way to get market research. And there's no shame in working for free, especially if you're new at something. That's how I landed my first job selling millions of dollars worth of artwork at a gallery as an intern. And also, I coached for free for two years. Another idea is to have multiple offers. You can create high-ticket ones that are really your bread, bread and butter where you're making the most bang for your buck. And maybe some lower-end offers to gain more experience and build your audience. I like to think of the 80-20 rule. 80% of your products and services can be free or low cost. And then the other 20% should be your high-end offer. 
picking a price and sticking with it is so important. We were both talking about earlier is the anxiety and the fixation that can come with pricing. And a price is just a number. So pick something and stick with it long enough so that you can evaluate some other areas of your business like networking, promotion, sales copy, advertising, outreach, all of those things. It's not typically the price that is the issue. It's your thoughts about the price that is the issue. So get really clear on what your thoughts are about the price so that you can feel confident to show up and share and sell. It's funny to think about the role of confidence in this extreme example of the late Virgil Abloh's opinion on pricing. He truly believed that only he could tell the value of his work, and so he would set the prices at the standard that he wanted. Of course, irony and humor was a huge part of his practice. And so with the example of the Pyrex rugby jerseys that he bought and repurposed and sold at a 700% markup is just an excellent example of the fact that pricing and self-belief go hand in hand. Of course, this is an extreme example, and the, the element of Virgil's clothing that I love so much is that the flip side of Virgil Abloh's vision was that all of his clothing was really easily reproducible. So not only did he enjoy, but he also encouraged people to essentially forge his practice. And so many of the things he created were easily uh, purchasable at like Home Depot or a hardware store near to you. So he was encouraging essentially like copycats to come in and create versions of his work. So this idea that, you know, pricing is an insurmountable battle of ego is just part of the art story. I mean, just looking at the expanse of art history and also looking at the absurdity of the art market pricing today, um, we have to come at this with humor and self-respect. Yeah, that reminds me of the Tashin book, Something's Off, which Virgil worked on with Tashin. It's bright neon green and you open it up. And when I first looked at it, I saw the zip ties on some of the sneakers that he had designed and I didn't really get it. But after speaking in more detail about it, understanding that something someone else could easily reproduce that and no one from far away would know the difference. There's so much genius in that. And I love the idea of having a playful energy about your work and your pricing. It just makes everything more fun. And so to continue on this idea of the different psychological states that come up with pricing, whether that's humor or discomfort or irony, I really enjoy what the artist Kate Salen friend has to say about how she approaches sales in her work. My background is such that I'm primarily self-taught. As we talked about, I've been with Arena Gallery for 14 years 
and I've been a professional artist for 22 years. I started after my oldest son was born and I started sort of dabbling in it. And because my background career-wise, my other life was in retail operations. And so when I painted my first painting, my first thought was, hmm, how do I sell it? You know, it, it wasn't like, oh, I love it. Let me put it over the mantle and then hoard all my work. So there, it was a real natural knee-jerk reaction for me. And I just think that that comes from my background. And so I don't, I don't have an, an emotional attachment like some artists can get to their own work. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but I don't have a big enough house to <laughs> keep all my paintings. So it's, it's very natural for me to sell my work. And luckily enough, I've been able to make a career out of it. And this is what I do full time. So I don't have a side gig. This is my gig. And there are a lot of professional artists out there that do make their living working full-time as an artist. As much as people like to pretend like we don't exist, they, there are a lot of us and successful at what they do. So I'm, I'm happy to be part of that club for sure. Yeah. And when you first started painting, was did were you using gold leaf or like what were you painting when you first started painting? You no, know, that kind of evolved. It, I started, I was pretty well known and not, this sounds very lofty. I was well known in San Francisco for my fruit. <laughs> <laughs> I used to do these enormous paintings with like plums that were this size kind of Okay, thing. I do remember those. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Irina gave it a short run. And so I was, I was known primarily for doing just, I was on this fruit bender for a long, long time. Every artist has their period, you know, like Picasso with his blue period and everything. I went through my Jasper Johns phase and, you know, went into fruit and all these different directions. And then what I always tell people that are painters or artists getting into it is, is you have to find your own voice. It's a very important thing, especially if like artists that you talk to, like, how do I sell my work? How do I get out to galleries or, you know, not that galleries are the end all. It's a great way to sell work, but there's a, a thousand different ways to sell your art. I don't want anybody to think that there, it's so limited. But one thing I always tell people, and especially people wanting to like develop their own art business, is they have to find their own voice. They, you have to discover what it is that you are best at and what's your unique voice. And in, in my case, I, along the line, I, I went from fruit. <laughs> I guess I, my theme has always been agriculture then because I went from fruit and eventually that turned into primarily trees. And so I'm really mostly known for the tree paintings, birch tree paintings, and then also floral paintings that like the one I showed in the postcard. And it just, it was just a natural evolution. And it, it really has everything to do with actively painting. But the natural evolution of your own work and finding your own voice can only happen if you are doing what you do every day. You, it, it's, it's not about up here. It's actively doing the thing. And in my case, making the art, painting the painting. And one painting always leads to the next painting. And so through that, 
the more I would work, the more I would concentrate and focus on what I'm doing and new ideas in my head. But it's the act of doing it where you find your own voice. And so how much, you know, do you feel like your background in retail and sales influence you as the professional artist? Well, it, it influences me a lot. It has a, it has a huge, there's a huge component that works to my advantage because of the way I think about things when I'm making art and, and that it's natural for me to sell the art. And one of the things that it's, I always keep in mind is that I accept the opportunity and then I figure out how. So it's, it's not about like, I need to be this perfect composite of what an artist is in order to be an artist. No, I, I sell myself as an artist. I take the opportunity and then I figure out, okay, I can do this. This is what I do. Now figure out how to do it. You know, whether that's a 20 foot painting and I've never been on a scaffold or, you know, whatever it is, things that might intimidate, it's more important to accept that thing and bring it in and then figure it out. We're all good problem solvers. That's all it is. Yeah. Um, that's so cool. So it's like, you're, you're getting out way outside your comfort zone. You're doing something, you're committing to something before you are a hundred percent sure you can even do it. And a lot of people get caught up in the notion of like, I, and I'm going to use the example of that opportunity I had to do those commissions with the 49er stadium. And it's a perfect example of there were only about 25 artists chosen to fill up the entire 49er stadium with art. I was one of the artists that was chosen and they commissioned me for three paintings and that are still there. That's a part of the permanent work. And in conversations I've had over the years, people have said, well, it's one of those, those conversations of, well, why you, you know, there are so many other artists out there and, and there are millions of artists and fantastic artists and some that are so far beyond my, my technical expertise and, so, and some that are so far below, right? Well, the, the answer is why not me? Mm. Why not me? Yeah. Somebody, somebody liked my art, so why shouldn't it be me? And it's, it's a message that's so important to get into your head to bring success to you is why shouldn't it be me? Why not? Why not me? Yeah. It could have been any, somebody else, but it was me. So, and, and, it, and that, that message to myself helps me to not undermine my own abilities. It helps me to know that I can do this thing just as well as anybody else. And I can make this happen just as well as anybody else. It gives me that fuel. So, so I think that's what I carry with me through my, when I was in a different industry that had a really strong effect on me, learning how to be successful, learning how, and embracing that and learning how to make sure that I'm giving myself the tools to, to be successful, that I can do anything I want to do. 
And you know, it's just a matter of doing it. It's something that I share with people all the time is taking action is doing and doing is showing up, showing up for the thing and not being the one that doesn't, not being the flake, not being the, the one that cancels the plan or undermines themselves or whatever, but showing up for the thing and doing it, doing the whatever that is that you do. I can do this. It's, this is what I do. So whether you're uber emotional or non-emotional, super ironic or non-ironic, no matter what, you can make sales. So take some time to go inward and figure out what feels good for you so that you can pull your pricing out of your back pocket at a moment's notice and start selling your work. Thank you for listening to Art Is, a podcast for artists. Be sure to check out the show notes for any resources mentioned in this episode. To access the episode transcript and more info on the themes outlined in Season 5, go to artispodcast.com. This episode was created by me, Isata Page, and Lauren Hill from Curated Splash, with original music by Black Wonder Twins. You can find them on all streaming platforms and on YouTube and Instagram under the same handle. Okay, that's it for now. See you next Thursday. I just wanted to give a quick shout out to our podcast editor, AK Joel, who's actually a professional video editor and YouTuber, but also edits podcasts. If you want to contact him about editing your own videos or podcasts, you can message him directly on Instagram at akjoel.films. That's A-K-J-O-E-L dot F-I-L-M-S. You can also find his contact information in this episode's show notes.